0: Lady Holder's off having a life. I know. I know. rest of us are stuck at home. She's out having dinner and shit. Um, I was, uh, this podcast is kind of out of the blue because, um, this is, uh, Normally, during this time of the year when we're in challenge, um, I don't do podcasts. But uh, in case you missed it, if you've been paying attention to RT, I'm actually having a hard time writing. And it's not because um, I'm not in the mood to write. It's that I'm kind of physically incapable of writing. And no, I haven't broken anything. Um, I keep getting these headaches And um, doctors are doing tests and everything And it'll it'll be fine You know, don't need to worry about it My MRI was cool Um, Although I do have a cyst in my sinus cavity Whatever the fuck that means Anyways, anyways, my head's fine I don't have a tumor Um, But uh, uh, because my head hurts I can't wear my headphones And because I can't wear my headphones I can't write have you ever heard anything so ridiculous? Um, anyways, so I've been um, struggling with that, and um, writing is coming in spurts, because it's just really, uh, although I did, the the part that I did post recently, um, I wore my headphones without music, and that actually kind of almost worked. Just the act of wearing my headphones. Anyway, it's just a bizarreness. I, I can't even, I don't even know. I don't even know. I'm going to figure it out, though. Um, <clears throat> I have medication to take for my headaches, but uh, I can't do jack shit I take that medication. I don't even get on the computer when I take that medication because um, I do craziness, uh, crazy-ass things, and um, you guys don't need to see that shit. You might enjoy seeing that shit, but you don't need to see that shit. Lady Holders over on Facebook posting pictures of her food in... The Bitch Squad chat, uh, which is a private chat. I probably shouldn't talk about because whenever I talk about my, my my bitches, my squad, um, on the podcast, inevitably somebody emails me and asks me to stop playing favorites. Like I'm your mom, I'm not your fucking mom. I can have favorites. <laughs> I have publicly named favorites on Facebook. Sometimes I have, like, two or three favorites at a time. That is my business. I'm not your mama. I ain't taking any of you assholes to raise. Except for the asshole I have downstairs that I married. Because if you got a husband, you know you got... That's your first child. I'm just saying. Anyways, um yeah i mean sometimes yeah it happens it, it it really does um people uh get bent um i um people have approached um certain members in the mod squad trying to figure out how to become my friend, and I don't know what that is um, I don't know and we were talking earlier in the week about um being a writer's writer, which is kind of like being an actor's actor, um, in that I really enjoy, um, the company of other writers. Um, I like the creativity that comes with that and, um, the, the lessons you learn, Just by interacting with other writers, Um, it is my preference to be friends with other writers. And I know that sounds so weird and so crazy, but even in my, even in my, um, um, even in Meet Space, um, the majority of my friends are writers. Um, The the people that I interact with outside of my family or my husband are writers. Yes, Sybil, you could be my next favorite. I'm super fond of that art you did for me um, for Sentinels of Atlantis um, where Bates, I love the Bates one. It's like my favorite piece of fan art for um, Sentinels of Atlantis. I love it. That is you, right? That's you, Sybil? Or is there two Sybils? Okay. She's saying cool, so I think that is the same Sybil. I love that piece of art. It's my favorite. Out of all the art I've gotten, and I've gotten some beautiful art for Ties That Bind, um, and um, I've gotten some amazing art for Sentinels of Atlantis. I have a whole collection of um, Sentinels and guides and their um, spirit animals. I fucking love that gallery. It's beautiful. Uh, but really, my favorite piece of single art is the one that Sybil did for me um, with um, Bates uh, when when he went feral. I fucking love it. It's my favorite, uh, bar none. Um, <clears throat> it is Bates, right? It's not John. It's Bates, right? It is it John? I don't think it's John. It's Bates. Okay. See, I thought it was, but I haven't looked at it in a while, and it's been a while since I worked on Sentinels of Atlantis, and sometimes I get my stories kind of, um, because I, because I'm kind of prolific, you might have noticed um I tend to sometimes my work kind of blends together for me um and so I have to when I start working on a project that I haven't worked on in a while I have to read the whole project cover to cover so that I can get back into that that headspace for whatever I'm um working on um because it's just craziness So, Lady Holder asked if I was if I was cursing her out on the show, and Azure totally had my back. Uh, I'm not cussing her out, the heifer, because she has a life and we don't. Anyways. Tonight's show, yeah, there's Jillie um, showing a picture of it. If you go to my, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to know what art I'm talking about, if you go to my site and click on um, the Sentinels of Atlantis, um, you'll see an art gallery. If you click on that, um, you'll see the gallery itself. And the picture that I'm speaking to you about specifically is a drawing, um, and it's the fifth picture over. And it is um, totally my favorite piece of art for Sentinels of Atlantis. Uh, it really just, t- in total, my favorite piece of art. I don't know what it, I don't know what it is about it. Um, it's just, it really, I just, I love it. Uh, and I, I have beautiful art, and I love all my art. Um, but there's just something about it that's just. It really I I I think it boils down to that because Julie said it captured the scene. It really captured my mental picture of Bates in that particular story. And I was, you know, yeah. Yeah. And um and it really just kinda like she plucked it out of my head. So and that's that's why it's my favorite. Uh and it just uh I love it. It's my favorite piece uh for that reason, for that reason alone. Um but like I said, I used to get, I, I get a lot of I used to get a lot of beautiful art for Stargate. Um I moved out of Stargate and a little bit and but I'm getting back into it, not the way everybody wanted me to. <laughs> but, I, but I'm in it, and I think that's really um rediscovering my love for Stargate uh took some work. And I don't know why that is cuz I love I love the characters and um but, you know, even if I'm writing Girl Rodney right now, uh, and it's, and I don't know, mostly that, that second story, that well, that full story from for Meredith was completely out of spite. But then I got really invested in her as a character. Um, and uh, so it's just, you know, it's interesting. Um, so tonight's podcast is about um, honing your craft. And sometimes I see... Um, I don't want to sound condescending when I talk about this, but so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, just take it as a grain of salt that I'm not ever trying to talk down to you when I'm discussing um, writing, that it is always my goal to elevate you, not throw you on the floor. Um, I'm just, I'm just not that person. I'm not that writer. We all encounter writers and um, creative people who, who thrive on tearing other people apart who thrive on tearing other people's work to pieces. I'm not that person. Um, and when you in, if you invite me to give you feedback, I, I'm going to focus on how to, to elevate your craft rather than tell you all the things that you've done wrong because that's just the way I operate. I, um, I much prefer to be a source of um, inspiration than hurt. Even from a professional point of view, when I'm interacting with other writers um, uh, in the professional arena, I always endeavor to to encourage and to um, bring up uh, topics that will help and not hurt. That's just the way I operate. She needs to stop sending me pictures of her food. Oh, God. Oh my coffee really rocks for me too, dark. I'm 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 really super, super involved. Um and um there's two of you. I'm gonna call you Sarah Dark Serafina. Um so I can keep you two separate. Um Uh anyways <laughs> Yeah. Uh so Coming into that, just, just please keep that in mind, that I'm, that I'm not trying to pick on anybody or um, be mean. Um, one of the worst things I encounter with new or um, developing writers um, is the mantra, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't stay in one point of view. I can't not head hop. I can't write in first person. I can't write in second person. I can't write in third person. I can't write a whole book. I can only write short stories. I can only write over 100K. Don't tell me what you can't do. I don't believe that. I don't. I don't ever believe that. If you tell me I can't write first person, I'm going to tell you take your ass over to your to your writing spot and practice. If you tell me I hate writing in first person, I'm going to say okay and believe you. But don't say you can't, and don't say you can't write a whole novel. You fucking can. If you wrote a thousand words a day by the end of the year, you'd have three fucking novels. Don't tell me you can't write a novel. You can. You you totally can. Don't tell me you can't write a short story. I don't believe it. You know why I don't believe it? Because if you look at the body of a novel... If structured properly, each chapter should practically almost be a short story with a beginning and a middle and an end. You know how a scene is structured. You know how a chapter is structured. You know how a book is structured, which means you know how a short story is structured. And the only way you get that skill down to an art form is to practice it over and over and over again. And don't tell yourself you can't. Tell yourself you're going to try. This is what I'm going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And if you fail, you try again. Because the only thing holding you back from developing your craft as a writer is you. You are literally your only stumbling block. This isn't about being published. This isn't about Finishing something and saying the end on something. This isn't about um, your talent or about your idea. This isn't about how small your idea or how big your idea is. The only thing that holds you back as a writer is you. The only thing that holds me back as a writer is me. I don't, readers' opinions don't hold me back. Editors' opinions don't hold me back. My agent, my publisher, n- none of those people hold me back. I hold me back. I am my own stumbling block just as much as you are your own stumbling block. Well, headaches are a physical, you know. Uh, and the thing is, is it's more an OCD issue than an actual issue. If I was under a deadline, I absolutely would write. I, because that's professionalism. Um, and I'm also comfortable with the fact that I've written about 12,000 words for the month already, and we've got 15 days left, and um um totally going to, to be able to do it um, as far as meeting the challenge of 25K this month. I'm going to accomplish that. I've already got um, my last chapters plotted out, Um and I know how it's going to end. Um, I've written, and I hardly ever, ever do an epilogue. But I, but I do have an epilogue plan for Darkly Lowell. And I've already written it in my head like six times. So I'm totally on it. I just, I'm physically bleh because of my head. Anyways, I have um I I had gotten myself uh, I'd made myself a milkshake before the podcast started, and I almost got it all drank before it started, but I have a little bit left. Um, <clears throat> headaches can screw with your process. Any kind of pain. Can be a mental, can cause a mental deficit, um, um, in your ability to be creative. Uh, but as far as your ability to learn new things about yourself as a writer, and your craft, the only thing holding you back is you. Um, so don't say you can't. If you don't like it, say that I don't like first person. I don't like to write in first person. I don't like to read in first person. Say it and own it. But to say you can't write in first person is a cop out, unless you, because because you can. <clears throat> you know, it's not it's not honestly my favorite point of view, but um, I can read it, I can write it, <clears throat> I don't choose too often. Um, uh, I know Jillie has a very specific opinion about first person as well, uh, but uh. So it's really disheartening for me to see someone say they can't do something. Um especially an another writer. I'm like are right, no, no, you can. You need to decide if you want to or not and if you like it or not. You can say I don't want to write in first person, but don't say you can't because you totally can. If you practice. And don't say you can't write a short story. You totally could if you practice a little bit of word economics. Don't tell me you can't write a novel. If you can write 500 words a day, you can write a novel in a year. If you can write 1,000 words a day, you can write three novels in a year. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Take can't out of your vocabulary. Just Just take it all the way out. I've had a headache for two weeks, two and a half weeks. Um, it's off and on. I um I have medicated it several times. Uh and there's just it's just here. And I don't know, um like I said, they're they're doing tests and stuff. Um, we'll figure it out. I have an eye exam coming up as well, and I and I might just need a new prescription. It could be that simple. Uh We shall see. But I've been told that the cyst in my sinus cavity is too small to be um, the reason that I'm having headaches. So who knows? Who knows? Who knows? It could be allergies, you know, the season is changing and all that stuff. But this is more um, a mental comfort issue. 'Cause I could like I said, I could write. I could force myself to write. And if I was under some kind of deadline, I totally would. I'm not sure I would enjoy it. Um, because part of the reason um that I that I write um with my headphones on with the music is it's it's um it's an escape mechanism, you know. Um and uh it takes away some of the pleasure and it becomes more of a more of a job. Than anything else and that you know um, I don't want to view my hobby writing like a job so uh, because it's my like Julie said it's her refuge it's mine too it's um, uh, where I retreated when things got super stressful um, for me um, professionally and um, I don't want to uh, to damage that, that comfort that I get from my hobby writing But, you know, so I think the worst and best advice anybody ever gives, um, and I give it, um, is when somebody asks how do you get better, you get better by doing um, right every day. I tell everybody that, write every day. It is easily the best and worst piece of advice I've ever given and ever received. Write every day. Because the implication is, if you don't write every day, then you suck. <laughs> and I get that, I'm like, oh, I suck today, I didn't write. <laughs> I know I not the intention behind the, um, the advice, uh, but... You know it becomes this uh kind of um this circle of uh like you feel really good when you write like like you've accomplished something yeah, I wrote today and 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 you feel great about it, and then the next day you don't write, and suddenly you're a loser right, as you said in the chat room that you can't improve a skill by sitting on your hands, and so the only way to be a better writer is to write. Um, and the only way to, to learn new skills is to to figure out where your weaknesses are, weaknesses are in those skills and work on them and even them out and work on it and work on it and work on it until you can accomplish it. Um, writing isn't really a, a space where you can be... Um, stagnant. If you let yourself get into a place where you never experiment and you never try anything new, um, you never learn more about yourself as a writer, you you end up telling the same story over and over and over and over and over again. I know that you've encountered professional writers that Sometimes you can't remember which book is which because basically they all have the same plot, just different characters. Now I know that I we, we did a whole podcast on how there are just seven plots and an infinite way number of ways to tell them, but when you think about that, there is actually a big difference between, say, um, Cinderella and pretty woman which is basically the same story <laughs> and but they're not the same story it's the same plot though uh so but when you encounter um a writer who's kind of stuck in a rut um it can be really um discomforting for you you know as a as a writer to encounter that kind of writer who is stuck in the same pattern a holding pattern where they um never move out of their comfort zone they write the same thing every day every time with every story with every book and um you're like i don't even mm i can't mm But you have to wonder if they have anything else in them, you know. If if that's all they've got, that I've never encountered a, a writer who had one story to tell. Maybe an autobiographical, you know, like, like like if you're telling your story, like an autobiography, maybe. Um, but even then, I I find that disconcerting that you have one story to tell. Surely you have more than that. Surely you have more stories to tell than that. Um, You have more ways uh, to express yourself in the world. And um, I I hope I do. I I, I know I do. Um, But I don't want to be that person who tells the same story over and over and over again. Um, So it's always very, um, very uh, reassuring when someone points out, that I can the same characters and tell 10 different stories um, and I think that in a lot of ways fanfiction prepares you to write um, to expand your your horizons as far as um, creating storylines for your characters and so that you could write 10, 15, even 20 stories with the same set of characters and each story be different and varied and, and comfortable and um, And entertaining. (sighs) Is this you, Julia, on the line? Is that you? It is me. Hmm. I'm going to take some Advil. What holds you back? From writing? Mm, Anything. Mm. Well, um, hmm. sometimes when I'm really pissed off, you'd think that that would be a time. Sometimes I can really get in and write when I'm really angry. But sometimes when I'm mad, it just totally derails me. And it kind of depends upon why I'm mad, I guess. Um, Because some things it's just like you want to get in and exercise the demon. But sometimes it's like, oh, no, the last thing I want to do is try to work this out on page, on the page, you know. So Emotional, a lot of times, like being sad usually doesn't throw me off. Um, I haven't found that depressed throws me off too much, but it can. But definitely being angry can just make it really hard for me to settle down, and right? Um, Oh, a really bad head cold really bad head cold can interfere with my ability to be a decent human being (laughs) just (laughs) in general anything (laughs) yes (laughs) if i'm congested you know sinus pressure and the head pounding um but um i think what you know writing is i i am kind of a little bit stuck on um there is an area where I'm a little bit stuck, which is that I've started like two or three original works because I, I have always wanted to be a, a, a published author. So I've always wanted, since I was a little kid, I always wanted to write a book. But um, I don't know. There's like all this there's the, all this neurotic stuff that keeps getting in the way. Um, and it it's like you, I could I could finish and be neurotic afterwards but it's <laughs> which would you know seem like the way to go is finish it and then be neurotic but i it just kind of getting stalled out being neurotic on the way um like well writing really is my refuge it really is what i do to get away from all the stuff that's troubling um and i worry that i wouldn't like it as much i'm like am i going to ruin what i love if i start doing it for money which seems kind of ridiculous when i say it out loud but that's Kind of what goes on in my head Well what you need And what I needed um, To To embrace And I didn't um, Until basically I was burned out uh, Really um, Is that You never write for money hmm. Well ever. true um, Never ever Ever write for money, um, whether it and so write original, um, write short stories, write poetry, whatever, but never expect to make money off of it. Because I think that when you attach a, a monetary value to your work um, at the onset, it creates um, stressors that you don't need. No, I'm not saying go out and make. Don't go, you know, give your shit away for free. Um, Fan fiction, yes. Original work, no. Um, What I'm saying is, is that don't make money the goal. Right. Don't put money on the table till you're done. Um, And a lot of writers write on spec. They write for market, and um, but I think that that kind of writing. Takes a certain kind of personality, and I don't have it. Uh, I uh, I just don't. It's kind of like the difference between dancing in the club and dancing on a pole in a club. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the best and worst analogy ever. I'm just oh, saying. Awesome. I'm just saying. There there there's that awesome quote that, that writing is like sex. First you do it for friends um first you do it um for friends and then you do it for money. <laughs> <laughs> or first you do it for love and and then you do it for money. Um so yeah. But I don't wanna be a pole dancer. <laughs> I just, um, I'm over that. And I think that if you approach it from strictly a creative um, position as a writer and don't put money on the table until the very end, um, you'll be okay. I, you know, it takes a little bit to, to separate that, I think, because um, when you look at, you know, what publishers are buying, you know, what um, what the market will bear. You don't know, honestly, what the market will bear. I mean, um, there was a while when you couldn't throw a... You couldn't turn around without seeing a shifter romance on Amazon. or And then, you know, gay romance got really popular, and then BDSM was really popular. Um, and then when the Navy SEALs killed Osama Bin Laden, Navy SEAL fiction went through the roof for about six months. I'm talking like... $50,000 for an electronic book publication. $50,000. Boom. Then nothing. So you don't know what the market will bear um, and where it will go. Uh, book sales go down. Um, they come back up. They go down. In This is really interesting. The better the economy is doing, the worse the publishing industry does, because people have money, but they're not spending it on books. They're spending it on dinner out and on trips. And when people don't have a lot of money and they have to stay home and they need to entertain themselves, they buy books. So when the economy's in the toilet, publishers do very well. I know that makes no sense. Well, it kind of um, so makes you, sense. I, I, I get it. Yeah, I, get, I can see why that would be. When people are going out less and they're home, um, there's the TV people and the reader people. Some <laughs> people are going to yeah. go hide in books and some people are going to watch TV. And if you can not have an adventure outside of your house because you don't have any money, but you have six bucks to spare, you can have an adventure on your <laughs> in your hand. <clears throat> Dark set, um, Sarah <laughs> says, libraries run the same way, a higher usage in economic depression. Yeah, but that's very true. That is very true. The, um, you can see it in the parking lot. Like, it's practically empty, um, the past year or so, but I've noticed recently that it's starting to get a little more busy over there. Around the time November happened. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, the thing well, well so what I would say is that never ever make the assumption you can make a living writing um those kinds of careers happen very rarely uh, and see the thing is is that a lot of writers get disen- dis-, dis disenchanted with it because they see writers like j k Rowling and e l james and um <sighs> They see all these really super pop super popular writers. But for every one of those super popular, really rich writers, there are ten thousand writers who never even get published. And there are five thousand writers who are trotting along behind them, um, midlist who have to work a second who have to work outside the house and write at night, um, who wait tables during the day, write their ass off at night. And they're still publishing at Harlequin and St. Martin and Kensington and, I mean, Penguin. But they're not making enough money to live on. And also, when you publish with a big company like that, let's say, for instance, I put a book at Penguin. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let's just say that (laughs) I sold a book to Penguin um, yesterday. I sold a book to Penguin yesterday. This is hypothetical. I have not sold a book to Penguin. But let's say I did. So, I send the book off. Six, seven months from now, I get my edits. I'm not kidding. Three or four months after that, I might get my proof. Check the proof. Send the proof back. A couple of weeks later, a couple months later, depending on the publisher, it hits bookshelves. I may or may not see my cover until the day it comes out. (laughs) I'm not kidding. (laughs) It just depends on the publisher and whether or not you're J.K. Rowling or not. (laughs) I'm not J.K. (laughs) Rowling. Um, And more often than not, you don't even get a say in your cover. It just depends on the publisher. So my book's here. My publisher sends me my author copies. I got 30 or 40 of them. I have no idea what to do with them. Fabulous. Okay, so let's say I got an advance of maybe $5,000. So, I, I, so I, I got that advance somewhere between, I don't know, um, the edits and the proof. So about six or seven months after I sent the book in, I get an advance of $5,000. Okay. And my agent gets her cut. So I put my little check in the bank. I got my proof. I got my copies. And yay, it's on the bookshelves. It's over on Amazon. I'm posting links and shit. When do you think I'm going to see another royalty check? Guess. Guess. Six months after it's published. Oh, honey. (laughs) You're so adorable. (laughs) Now, that advance has to come out first. Oh, okay. So, because that's not free money. <laughs> that's money they're giving you in advance <laughs> on the assumption you're going to make that much money. Right? Okay, so so you've got your advance. You've got $5,000. Um, they take out the money they already sent you. But before you get your first royalty check, the distributors, bookstores, have to send that money to the publisher, which can take six to eight months per quarter. Then it rolls uh, into the what? publisher. Oh yes. Like Amazon I think pays like um three months behind. Or maybe it's two. I don't remember. So like sales that happened in January are being paid out right now if you're um independently publishing at um Amazon. Okay, wow. All right. Bookstores, bookstores, six months to a year after publication date, money comes back into the publisher. Three months pass, you get a check. So, from the time it was contracted, minus your royalty, your advance, you might see money on a published novel in a, in a traditional publishing house eighteen months after publication. if it earned out, you might get a statement with a bunch of zeros on it, letting you know that you're still earning out your your uh, your advance. How much money do you think you'd make on a midlist book? Not a bestseller just a mid list midlist book total or without the without the advance total. Eight thousand dollars? Between ten and fifteen. Oh, okay. <laughs> Over a period of about five years. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not kidding though. Oh my god. That's why I tell you. Never ever, 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 ever think that you're gonna make money as a writer. And if that's your sole purpose for going into professional publishing, hang it up now. Not I'm not going to teach you to you specifically, but just in general to the audience, um, don't write for money. Now, granted, if you are a prolific writer, by the time money starts coming in on that first book you've sold, you've already got two or three more books in the pipeline. Because um, my record for publishing um, in print was uh, four books in two years, five, five books in two years. Okay. Hmm. I'm still getting mine from that last one. This is true. It doesn't temporarily throw you into a tire, tire tax bracket, but you know, if you're doing it for a career, you're not getting a statement on one book. You know, um, you're, um, you're getting regular statements on a whole catalog of a whole catalog of books. Um, at one time, I had over thirty novels in um, in print, so Damn. I was getting. Um, I know, right? <laughs> that wasn't a that was a very humble brag right there. <laughs> but um so you know, it it wasn't that I was getting money from one book when I would get a statement. I would have books from this publisher and books from this publisher and books from this publisher. So I'd get three or four statements quarterly um with checks to come as they would. So, you know, if you're going to make a living as a writer, you have to write every single fucking day. Um, And during that point in my life, I was writing 8 to 10K a day. That's a lot of writing. Yeah. It burned me out. Trying to get that dollar. It burned me out. That's why I... um, I tell anybody don't don't do it, don't write for money if you want to be published professionally, go out there and do that shit, work for it, get you know dig in, write, but don't approach your writing that way. Being an author is a business. Being a writer is a passion. Sarah asked me how many key- keyboards I go through in a year um during that time about four a year. Now two or three a year? That's a lot of keyboards. <laughs> I just recently bought a new one. And I think I'll have that last one for about eight months. So, But yeah. There was a time when it was a look, and already, I've already worn off the um, the letters on the A, the S, what is that? The E, and the I, O, and my, the N. My S, my, my E, and my O are gone. Poor baby. I've already worn the paint off the keys. So... <laughs> <laughs> Able to claim manicures as a tax deduction. I've always done my own nails, um, unless I'm wearing false nails, and I couldn't claim those on my taxes. I fucking like to. Um, that's that's just expensive. Oddly enough, my enter key hardly ever has the paint worn off of it. <laughs> Although currently, I'm 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 rubbing a space uh, on my space bar. I have a little slick space. Where. Where my thumb rests when I'm typing. I wrote my first book on a Brother typewriter. I know that just kind of really throws me. I, I mean, I had a I had a computer by the time I was twelve, so which is about when I started writing, other than outside of longhand and notebooks. Um, so I I can't I can't imagine actually trying to write a. We uh, we had a computer in the living room, and so um, and um writing my my writing was a very private part of me when I was young, so there was no writing in the living room um I have my typewriter in my room with my notebooks this this african keeps sending us pictures of food what what did we do to I her? Know, I think there's so the many The last one I saw, because I just. Oh, there's another one. Shit. <laughs> oh. Oh. A loco shrimp and jasmine in. rice. Oh, she, I'm fucking still donuts. stuck on the donuts. I'm stuck on the donuts. She's she's getting fresh donuts, guys. This asshole. Very all very all fresh. All like they're still, still cooking. With her. They're still cooking. I don't even know why we're friends with her. She had a life and she's taunting us with food. Yeah, there was no privacy on the computer in my house, so um I wrote on a typewriter. Um in fact I wrote on a typewriter until I went to college. I wrote um I did write on the computer, uh, but I were, I was I was a night owl everybody else was asleep, so I was up all night. I'd be up all night. I wrote my I wrote I wrote a romance novel when I was... I think I finished it when I was 13. I still have it on a floppy disk somewhere. Not that I have any way of getting the data off that floppy disk at this point in time without buying some piece of computer equipment, but it's still floating around in the house somewhere. I think you can buy a little um, floppy disk reader that's like a USB you can, but I don't know that I would. If I did that, then I would like be morally obligated to read that again, and I because I'd have no reason to get it off that disc than to read my old writing. And I mean, I, it's kind of like it's there, but I I don't actually want to look at it. <laughs> 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 what did twelve thirteen year old me think of was romance? <laughs> Cause I 11, I had this, eleven or twelve was when I started reading romance. If it's anything like mine, it, it, it was a harlequin desire. <laughs> Basically yes, I I wasn't writing bodice <laughs> rippers at twelve. I I I waited a little later for that. It was a horlickman desire, certainly, because mine was <laughs> complete with mountain man. I regret nothing. <laughs> but you know, um, I you know when you're. Um publication as a goal is 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 awesome it's lovely i i I recommend it that that's the kind of validation you can't get anywhere else um but uh you have to you you have to separate yourself from the business part of it Um it's like i said well writing is a pleasure an author is a business um um so be a writer until you're done. And don't turn it into a business until you're done. Because right now, it's your word, baby. It's not anything but. When you get done, and you've done your second draft, maybe your third, and you've gone through a beta, and you maybe you've had an alpha, and you've gone through, and you've fixed all your commas. Um, or in your case, deleted some of your commas? Yes, deleting. <laughs> remove, remove, remove. Are you sure you need that comma? You don't need that comma. Um, When in doubt, leave it out. Best comma rule ever. Then you decide what you're going to do with it. Um, Until you've decided that it's done, it's your baby. It doesn't belong to anybody else. Nobody gets to read it until you say. It's, It's yours. Nobody's judgment counts, but yours. Nobody... It doesn't matter what the market thinks or what the editor would think or what the publisher would want. that's your baby until you're done and then, when you're done, you're getting ready to put it out there in the world, it becomes a product, and you have to treat it like one. So if you send it to a publisher and they say, "Hey, I love this, but can you do this, this, and this? Yes, so no, well, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> She's already decided she can't. So it's still your work, baby. So you need to take it back and put it back in the box. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it's going to, you know, I, I do know that because I, I, I do recognize that, you know, if I am not at the point where I'm willing to hear criticism on something, I'm not at the point where I could turn it in for, to, to a publisher. Well, it's not always a criticism. Sometimes it's as simple as, okay, you've sent us 80,000 words. We need 75. Yeah, and that, or, that right, that's the biggest hurt. I could deal with criticism better than take 5,000 words away. It's like, what? And that's not <laughs> a matter, of, logistics? 5, just words a matter of physical um, publication as far as a traditional publishing house goes. And, um Electronic publishing land—that's not such a big deal. Although there are publishers who have word limits, and, you know. Obviously, you know, because you don't want, especially with a new writer. When you have a new writer on the table, um, the more, the longer a book is, the the more expensive it, it will be to publish, to edit. Um, and so, if you have if you have a new writer on the block and, and you don't know their marketability, are you really going to pay to have a hundred k edited? Hmm. Which is why it's much easier to get into publishing houses, electronic publishing houses with smaller works to start and you prove your markability, then send them a hundred k it also depends on how the publisher pays their editors. Are they paying by the word or are they paying um uh, royalties. Uh, so it all just depends on the publisher and, and how they work, and as far as um, uh, marketability and money and all that stuff. But don't make any mistake. Publication is a business, and you have to treat it like one. You can't um, be overly attached to your words, and you can't be sentimental. About your work, um, because if you are and you pitch a fit, then you know your publisher goes goes to have lunch with another publisher or another editor at another house or an agent. And go, you know what? Her her work is great, but she's such a bitch to work with. Mm. And one day, your marketability is going to be about even with how difficult you are to work with. <laughs> They'll be like, you know what? I think I'll take this book over here, because this author will do anything I say, and then you get told no. And if you don't. Think, if you think that publishers don't talk, editors don't talk, and agents don't talk to each other, you're crazy. They do. Um, in, in New York, it's a very tight community. Um, of um, professionals and I'm not saying they'll blackball you if you're an asshole in the editing process but it's going to be known that you're an asshole in the editing process it's really going to be known so the more professional you can be on the outset um, first impressions matter and it can come back to bite you because say you're an asshole to an editor who tells you no right? Um, ten years down the line that editor is the decision maker at Penguin. Do you mm. think she's going to forget about you? She's not. She has a list of people who pissed her off when she was just a little copy editor or a little proofer. <laughs> who got shit on by bitchy authors. and She's got your name on a list. Unless you've had a severe attitude adjustment in the 10 years since you told her to kiss your ass, you're not getting published at Penguin next year. So when they come back and they say, you need to take 5,000 words away, you just go, okay, I'll get that done, and then you go find your bitches and you cry. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly, you find your bitches and you cry. but the then you know, also, is if, if they say, you know, t- t- take off 5,000 words, um, it-, it never hurts to write back and ask if they have... Um, Suggestions on on how you to do that or what they would prefer that you cut because um, if you cut the wrong thing they'll be like I really enjoyed that one scene you had and you cut it could you you take that one put it back in and take out something else so a lot of times an editor will say hey um, I need you to shave off 3,000 and 5,000 words Um, if you could take out this or this that would solve the problem Um, or they might say don't take out any of the sex. <laughs> <laughs> that one was from experience. I was I had I had submitted a 90k novel and I was told that I had to shave um 10k off of it. I was like, "Are you serious? 10?" <laughs> Don't you mean one? No, I mean 10. <laughs> and then she said, "But keep all the sex." I'm like, really? Because that's the easiest part to get rid of. Because you can just fade to black. If you have one or two sex scenes, you can fade to black and you can shave off a lot of words if you have multiple sex scenes, right? No, I had to keep all the sex. (laughs) I'd have a big old pout over that. I'd be like, oh, come on. (laughs) Use cock ten times and pussy twelve. That, counting my cocks, legit. thank you. Alora's Cave, which is no longer in business, had a rule that you had to have the word cock per so many words. Like, you had to have cock five times in 10K or 15 times in 30K. I'm, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I don't think I could publish something like that. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and count cocks for you.
1: Unfortunately
0: word was that for you. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) But we're talking about roosters and shit. (laughs) Yeah, I would do that to totally troll them too. If I'd put a you know, a a pack of roosters in the back of of the house of every in every novel. Why do all of your characters have roosters? I don't know, it's personal fetish. (laughs) I grew up on a farm. Uh. <laughs> 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 but no, I mean, you know, so uh, just don't approach it like a business until you're done. And eventually you will have to treat it, if, if, if you want to publish professionally, you will have to treat it like a product. And that's a difficult disconnect for a lot of people. Um, some people never quite master it. And I'll admit, my first edit was a nightmare. I was very quiet about it, though. I didn't bitch to anybody but my husband. But I gave him an earful. But it's also, you never know who knows who. Say you have a friend who's also published at this publishing house and you bitch to her and you don't know that this person is also actually the cousin of the editor you're bitching about. <laughs> That's not my what personal experience. Actually, but I know the person did happen to. What if they're actually because editors can write under other edit under other names, right? What if it's actually the right. editor you're bitching about? <laughs> is the author that you're talking to. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, oh, I love such-and-such such publisher, but this bitch who works for them, oh my god, she is such a cow, and you don't even know you're talking about the owner. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know Allura's case was owned by another, was, was owned by a writer. Uh, Id is owned by a writer. Uh, Cobblestone's owned by a writer. Y- you never know, um, who you're going to encounter um, in a chat situation, who knows who. Um, So you have to be really careful when you're approaching the professional market to behave um, in a certain way. That's why I don't allow you guys to bash writers on my site, on my Facebook, on my forums. Um, It's because it's just not something you should be comfortable doing. Because it might come back to bite you. And you can say, oh, Kira, I'm just bashing a fan fiction author. I got news for you. I I am confident in saying 60 to 75% of fan fiction writers are professionals. In some fashion or another. Technical writers, editors... fiction writers, you name it, they're in fandom. They're paying attention. They see you. A writer is a writer and a reader is a reader. And there are plenty of readers in fandom who also happen to have um, translators, yeah, absolutely, translators, proofers, editors, um, cover artists, um, technical writers, uh, you name it, they're in fandom. Copyright lawyers. Don't bash writers. It could come back to bite you on the ass. Don't bash publishers because you <laughs> you don't know who's paying attention. And what you might end up saying in front of somebody could, could really damage your ability to, to publish later. Because so they pay attention to that stuff, and they don't want some asshole in their um, in their stable who who bashes other publishers and other writers, because that just makes them look bad. I personally don't like to be associated with somebody who is constantly um, harping on another writer and. I know I did it to E.L. James. I know I lost my shit on that whole Peter Shades of Grey being treated like a romance novel when it really actually should be an after-school special. Um, And I keep it up as a reminder not to do that shit. It's my reminder for me that I made a big mistake and I'm owning it. Don't be like me. (laughs) And I knew I knew before I did it that it was not a good idea, but I was just so infuriated about the way they were marketing that movie that it just it, it pushed me over the edge. I had a moment. Actually I had a two hour event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean dark saying Sarahs saying that there are even people in fandom who manage social media for publishers and writers who who handle advertising um and they're there, they're watching you, they're seeing the things that you do, they're seeing the things that you say, and they they might end up in a meeting with a publisher and an editor, and your book comes up and you, and they'll be like, Oh, you know she might be talented, but she's very indiscreet.' She said this, this, and this, and this, and she really doesn't, you know, and she's just not, she caused a whole lot of problems in this fandom, and um, got in a huge flame war, and um, stalked somebody. <laughs> I almost stuck my foot in it with an author on Facebook this week. Um, and I, one of the, it, I think I think one of the only reasons I didn't, and it, well, it didn't have anything to do with her writing. It was something she had, posted otherwise um, that caused a big controversy online and ultimately, I just decided that I didn't want to be um, um, I didn't associated flame war with with a, with a writer um, at all um, so instead of getting it into it with the person who made what I would consider a, an inappropriate comment um, in social media, I instead went to you know the blog of one of the people who was having took issue with it and commented positively on their comment that, you know, I could appreciate where they were coming from and that I appreciated it, what they had to say about it and all that kind of thing. And then otherwise just left it alone, you know, because I'm like, I'm not getting into it with a writer on Facebook. I'm not doing it. But you know what, you were mentioning something about things that, with in terms of things that get in people's way, or that prevent them from moving forward? I think, and it's kind of, and I don't mean this in a, I mean it both literally and figuratively. I think one of the biggest things that gets in people's way is that they don't listen. Um, and it's not just listening to things that are told to you, or, um, but it, it's observation. but I would call like observational listening, you know? It's like paying attention to what's, going on around you it's like i haven't seen a published author do this ever but i'm going to do it even though i don't know why no author has ever done that before i'm going to go and do this thing that no other published author has done because it seems like a good idea and then when you get like feedback labeling that it's not your a good idea. right um and then when you get feedback that it's not a good idea you just dig your people dig their heels in and I really think that that really holds um, surprisingly a lot more people back than um, I would have originally thought. I had a conversation with somebody um, actually in, or, or, a, uh, um, in it's a, a a real life friend. We were talking about um, I don't there's probably a real name for this, but I call it um, uh, central character blinders, which is where you are so focused on what's going on with your central character and the plot devices you're generating for them that you fail to take into account how those actions and plot devices reflect on your secondary and tertiary characters. And you're so... And actually, and I don't mean this in a bashing way. It's just observationally. This is this is one of the reasons why we have plot holes in them, or what we look at as characterization issues in the Harry Potter books is because she's so focused on constructing... Uh, circumstances for Harry, that it made every adult in the wizarding world look like an asshole. Big one. And it's why it's so easy to make Dumbledore the bad guy. I don't believe for a minute that J.K. Rowling meant for us to see him as a manipulative old bastard who led Harry down an abusive path to suicide, but that's exactly what it looks like. Mm-hmm. is what it looks like. And all of the adults around Harry seem negligent and callous. And um, all of these things that happen that are convenient for Harry or put Harry in the position to go on a great adventure make other, often, not all of them, but often, many times, they make other people look really bad. And so I was talking, um, uh, somebody had asked me to read um, the first chapter or something, and I told them that I had a lot of questions about the motivations of some secondary characters and the things that they were doing. And uh, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and she said, well, and her answer to everything I said was basically, um, well, but I need that event to happen that way for my character, my character arc, my main character arc to proceed. I said, but yeah, but you, you're just, are you assuming that people aren't going to notice that this, Now that these people who've engaged in these actions that seem weird, it it reflects on their personality. It reflects on their character. And when you bring them further and more into the story, you're going to have to get over the fact that this kind of assholery existed in the first chapter. Well, she said, well, they won't be assholes later. And she was so (laughs) dug in. Yeah, she's so dug in on keeping it the way it was I said, you know, you're so focused on achieving this thing for your central character that you are not paying attention to the characterization of anybody else. And these people are all doing things that don't make any sense to achieve your plot device. And I see that a lot in fan fiction, a lot, a lot, which is just complete blinders about what these actions mean. And um, some people listen when you know people when you know because not i mean i'm not talking about people giving you critique on in feedback that's not what i'm talking about at all but if you're asking somebody to beta for you or alpha read for you and give you feedback and they give you you know say look this doesn't make a lot of sense your characterization seems really kind of wonky here um that people don't listen and they don't try to evolve i think that really holds people back um you know, like and like you mentioned, the labeling your, your point of view, like no published author ever has done that kind of thing. Well, maybe not ever. Maybe there's self-published authors that have done it. But they pe- authors don't do that. Publishing houses don't do that. And there's a reason why. And instead of investing in the reason why, they just decide, what, that it was a missed opportunity? <laughs> a missed opportunity for clarity? So let me go label my what point of view. What it really looks like is that you think your readers are stupid. When you label your POV, you think your readers are stupid. And when you insert the words lemon warning before a sex scene, I think you're stupid. No, not stupid.
1: Stupid's
0: stupid's harsh. Um, I think you're ridiculous. (laughs) Well, People, they get, people got, some people got in this mode that they have to please everyone who might want to read. And so they, um, you know, I, I read a story once where there was like all these different, um, look for the three asterisks if you want to skip this scene. Look for the ampersands if you want to, you know, skip the sex scenes. And there's like three different types of scenes you could skip by searching for what she put in front of the scene and i'm just like come on if if the if people can't handle what you disclosed your story to be about then they shouldn't be reading it it's ridiculous it's ridiculous to um i'm just not i actually had someone on my site ask me to label any future anal sexual things that happened in um harry potter and a soulmate bond so they could skip it Fuck that and fuck you. I'm not gonna do it. I'm just, I'm, I'm not. You just, yeah, you, you have to take me butt sex and all, okay? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if you, you can't adult- the butt sex, you don't need to see any of the rest of it. If you read on fanfic, I mean adultfanfiction dot net, um, you're going to run into a lot of lemon lime type warnings. That's pretty much what they use. Christy says I've run into two or three published novels recently that were written in first person, but from several characters' point of view, but each POV POV is labeled. The only time I've ever encountered it in a traditional published novel, not a self-published novel on Amazon, but a traditionally published novel, is in um, the Elizabeth Peters' Amelia Peabody series. Uh, It's written in first person. And the majority of the books are written from Peabody's point of view. Um, however, there are several excerpts of her son's journals as he gets older inserted into the book, and those are labeled like um, like journal inserts. They're uh, like they're put in as evidence into the book. It's very smartly done, and that's not what I mean. What I mean is, is I was over on fanfiction.net the other day, and I don't know what it means But they would ha- they had um, Normal POV And then There would be a scene where it would be Characters name POV Character name POV And then normal POV again And I'm like what the fuck is the normal POV I don't even know what that, What I don't get it and It was like I saw it and I clicked out But then I got really curious so I, I went back in And it was a mistake um, kind of like a train wreck. You just get deep in it. And I was like, mm. I was reading something out the other day that labeled every participant in the scene at the top of every scene. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, like, at the start of the scene, so like, so, like, in the last chapter of Slytherin Black that I had, the last scene, if I were doing that, it would have said... Sirius, Harry, Zayd, Noah, um, Arcturus, Maggie—you know—and Neville. <laughs> and then the scene after. And Neville. So that I would, so, so that my readers would all know who all was sitting at the table. It was, it was very. No, it was not a screenplay. It was not scre- It was normal narrative. It was a normal novel format. It's just every scene had a location and all the people who were in the scene and. Now, some, now I, I will I will say at least if somebody walked in. No, I'm sorry. The one time that somebody walked in, because I actually was reading this stuff, because I made I made like one whole page, and um, one chapter, and there was a character who wasn't in the scene. I go, was well, she labeled that this person was in the scene, and then that person arrived in the middle of the scene. So it covers everybody who's <laughs> there, to everybody who <laughs> arrives, the whole deal. <laughs> and the thing is, I mean. Yes, this is somebody who. This struck me as being somebody who's very novice, both in their in their. But I mean, like, where did that come from? Because I have I've I've it, it probably exists in two or three stories or ten stories somewhere, but if you aren't seeing something done, I could see people sometimes people do things because they see it done a lot. Um. Like using um. um a bunch of random acronym letters as your as your scene spacers. Um, people see that done, and so they start doing it, and that kind of thing propagates. But it's not any kind of professional standard. But I can understand that if something is pervasive, people um, will, will copy it or repeat it, even if it's not really something you would do in professional writing. But especially when I see people pulling stuff out of the ether that is just odd... Um, I read one. It read like a script. Oh, I didn't read it. I take that back. Um, I was like, "Oh, this is a really interesting idea." I'm gonna click on this, and um, it was written like a script. It would have character name colon dialogue, character name colon dialogue. And you're going, "How about no?" i I I mean I've actually I've, <laughs> I nope out. Nope. We all have we all have people who have we've all seen um there are, we all have seen there's a, a, someone in every fandom who likes to do script fic. And um I you know there might be one someday that tempts me to read it, but in general, if I just wanted to read the dialogue and the action cues um I, I can't actually ima- I could actually I can't actually imagine why I would want to do that, but you know if that's what you really want to write, go for it. But don't do it because you think that that's a novel, because it's not. I um, but it's just, it's just I a, that encounter people... a publisher who will publish a book that is multi-person, first-person POV. For the record, it is rare because it is super annoying to read. Um, it is jarring. Um, it destroys your pace. It <sighs> there are so many things wrong with multiple with with multiple first part mm, with multiple first person points of view in a single novel that it is mind boggling. Now, if you want to insert POVs in a first-person novel outside of your main character, the best way to do that is with journal entries like what um they do in what Elizabeth Pierce does in, in the in the a Million Peabody series, um emails, um letters, articles in newspapers, um extended conversations where um another character gives your main character um Feedback on something that's happened, but to do multiple first-person POVs, to the, um, which would require you to fucking label it, um, is just bad craft. I read a, a novel once—not novel, a fan fiction novel. Um, it was a very long one that was it was alternating first-person points of view. Um, the only way the only reason why I even got through the novel because in general I really didn't like it because one of my feelings about first person point of view is that I'm getting to know it's like a really it's a very intimate point of view and I'm really feeling as a reader I'm feeling very connected with that character and when I'm writing first person I am really in that character's head and both as a reader and as a writer I find it jarring to have that that intimacy switch—it's deeply jarring because it is—it's—it um, destroys. Like I said, it—it it destroys your pace. It. Um, but the one—the one fan fiction I read that I thought that I—I got—I got through it. It was so it was good enough for me to get through past the first-person point of view. Is it was. Very regimented every other chapter changed point of view. It was only two people so two main characters chapter you know all odd chapters were one character and all even chapters were the other character. Now if they had been repeating the story I wouldn't have been able to deal but it was just changing the point of view from one um, from one chapter to the next and that's the only reason why I could even follow it because it's really hard to um, I don't know, it's just difficult. It's, it's usually not a reading. It's a reading experience. And the thing is, it's a reading experience that is more tiring than pleasurable, um, which is one of the reasons why I don't read first-person present tense is because I find that to be an exhausting point of view. First-person present tense makes me nervous. Mm-hmm. I read one. I read a present tense novel, a story on AO3 recently. Um and like I told um when I recommended it to you that um I I wasn't going to read it, but then I got into it and I kind of forgot that it was in present tense, and that doesn't happen often ever. So I was kind of surprised at myself. Um it's a very interesting um story about uh it was it was in, it was in the NCIS fandom, written in um <laughs> I think it was just in present tense. I'm not sure. It it was in third person present tense, right? Did yeah, you read I think it? it was third person. Um, um, maybe. And it was just it was um it was a really good story about uh it was a dead air fic, um and um Tony and Tim. It was really good. Um, but, it, but it was written in um, present tense, and present tense is very urgent. There's a very urgent nature in present tense that can to um, um, be very exhausting. Um, first person present tense is annoying. Yeah, I usually have a hard, um, a hard back on um, on present tense stories, but there's a couple. Um, that was one I read, I read through, it was a, it was a series actually. Um, and I, I, it's not a hugely long series. I think maybe total it's 40,000 words, maybe a little less than that. Um, but I failed to even notice I was in present tense. Actually, it's first person present tense. It's first person present tense. And I didn't even, and I knew but, it was first person, but I missed the present tense because I was really pulled into the story. Um, and I just, I was actually kind of stunned that it took me so long to notice that it was first person, present tense. Well, that, impl- that, that tells you a lot about the writer, um, that they understood the nature of their beast um, very well. Um, and the pace was on point. Um, and the characterization was on point. Because if... The thing is, if you're going to write in a, in a POV that's very difficult to read, like first-person present tense is, you have to be on your game on every single point. Your plot, your pace, your characters, they have your motivations. Everything has to be bang, 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 bang. Because any stumble and your reader is going to remember what they're reading in. Because the best first-person book you'll ever read is, a, is the book you forget is written in first-person. Mm-hmm. And you never forget, um, if, if you're tired at the end, you didn't forget that it was written in first person. That's one of the reason why I really enjoy the Peabody books that Elizabeth Pierce wrote. Um, they're written in first person. Uh, I picked up The Ape That Guards the Balance in a Barnes & Noble one night because my husband was looking... Um, for a particular book and um, I was bored and I was up in the front of the store and it was a discount rack and I picked up a hardcover uh, and it was The Apes That Guards the Bounce and I had never read any of her work before and it was like the seventh or eighth book in that series I don't really remember um, and um, I read the first chapter standing there in front of the discount rack <laughs> and I was like I have to bring this book home with me so I did, and then I was like, I need all the other books. <laughs> so I don't want to buy all the other books. Um, but, uh, and it was just a real, and it was written in first person, and, I, and I'm very picky about my first person, but, um, half a chapter in, I couldn't have even told you it was written in first person, because she was engaging, and she's lying her ass off, and uh, saying she has an ached today. <laughs> And she's dyed her hair? <laughs> she's great. I really enjoy um the Amelia Peabody series. If you never read anything else as long as you live, you need to read the Amelia Peabody series. It's amazing and the first book is the crocodile on the Sandbank um and you forget everything when you're with when you're with Peabody, you forget everything else, even the fact that she lies to you. You're like, yeah, yeah, sure, Peabody, sure. She's lying her ass off to you, but you don't care. Like when she tells you that she already knows who the killer is, you know she don't know who the killer is. (laughs) She's lying her ass off. She didn't know at the first. She found out what everybody else found out. (laughs) Because they are murder mysteries, basically. But they tell a great story. She's, I mean, she's just a great character. Very good. There, there are My, some great um, first-person books out there. It's just um, there's fewer, for sure. Um, and it's because it's not everybody's wheelhouse to write well in first-person. No, I can do it. Um, I do find it exhausting to write in first person, but I'm I'm, prefer- I'm I'm capable of it. I don't read much first person. I have to really enjoy the author to do that. Um, my favorite Elizabeth Pierce book is *He Shall Thunder in the Sky*. Awesome! It's an awesome book. Um, and my second favorite probably is *The Ape That Guards the Balance* because it because it was my introduction. Um, to the series and um, just, it's awesome. I really, I really, um, I really highly recommend it. it is. I mean, it's not the In Depth series, but it is long. Yeah, In Depth is like 44 books right now. I see 19 books in the Amelia Peabody series. That's, that sounds about right. That's a lot of books. Yeah, that's good shit too. Excellent. Highly recommend it. Um, there is so much you can learn about. Re- there is so much you can learn from reading a really good author. And Elizabeth Peters, if you want to learn to write in first person. If you want to learn to delve into a single character the way she did Amelia, um, I read the Amelia Peabody books. Because if you want to see how that should be done right, you don't need to look any further than Amelia Peabody. Because reading those books is a master class in first person writing. And, you know, that's a question that I often want to ask some fan fiction. I don't. I don't. I sit on my hands, but I don't ask it. Is I want to ask, do you read? Do you read something right. that's not fan fiction? Do you read? Because you have every bad habit of fan fiction writers and almost none of the good ones of published, published authors. So what are you reading? What's really annoying is there are some fantastically talented fanfiction writers in fandom who are showing you how to do it right. Are you not reading them either? (laughs) Is that why you wrote the script? Or they do, and they just... I, I want to say like originality in and of itself... Is not necessarily a virtue. If you see everybody doing something a certain way and you decide that you are going to be different, being different for the sake of being different isn't necessarily better. It can also cause um, readers to become uncomfortable. If you buck the norm um, for the sake of bucking the norm, um, you create a situation where your reader is like, what? What the fuck? What is this? Now I'll be the first one to tell you Don't write for your readers, write for you But come on There well, is a, a um, Writing for your readers and writing to be readable If you don't care about being readable Then don't put it online Right Write for you But don't inflict write it on all the your, rest of us Go buck wild That's snotty? Know? That was probably snotty I'm going to get an email about that. <laughs> the only thing more annoying than somebody who's bucking the system for the sake of bucking the system, for no other reason, obviously, than to just buck with their readers, um, is the people who don't think formatting is for them. If I open up your fic and it's a big fucking wall of text, I'm closing your fic. I'm not going to read it. And if you don't want anybody reading your shit, why is it online? If you make mm-hmm. it impossible to read, then why do you bother putting it up to begin with? That's a matter of pride. You need to take pride in your presentation. My website is beautiful. I spend a lot of time on it to make it be to, to make it look exactly the way I want to because I'm vain and I want it to be pretty. And I want all my shit to be to be exactly right and formatted perfectly. And when I see a bad format issue on my site, I get so mad. Oh, I have to go in and fix it. I don't know why you don't do that. I've even seen people comment, put in their author notes and say, "Um, I know there are no paragraph spaces. I can't figure out how to fix it. If it's a, if you don't like it, don't read it." Okay. Fine. <laughs> you really X shouldn't out. throw that gauntlet down. <laughs> Back button. I don't need your shit. <laughs> author, unnamed author.
1: <sighs> and who
0: decided it was a good idea? And I know it was a. Pro- we talked. We talked this about this before, but I'm gonna give pro tip. Characters do not share the same fucking paragraph in dialogue. Stop oh. it. And and I gotta say this. In modern fiction writing. I gotta say this, folks. Your descriptive beats and your action beats typically go with the dialogue of the person who is speaking. Because it is, ah, I just about lost my shit. I was reading this reading, and this happens. It happens more often than I would like to admit. Where Jack speaks. Daniel responds. New paragraph. Daniel speaks. Jack's action beat. New paragraph. And I was like, if you because you they're using like using descriptive beats or action beats in place of dialogue tags to help indicate the speaker, but they're off. They're they're off. So Jack's descriptive beats are with Daniel's dialogue, and I just, oh, I was ready to rip my hair out. I couldn't. I had to. I had to. I had to nope out of that shit. So what she's saying, for those of you who the technical terms are kind of going over your head, what she's saying is the following. I'm going to give you a piece of Daniel's dialogue and Jack's response, and it will be one paragraph. Shut up, Jack. Period. End quote. Jack raised an eyebrow. Paragraph break. Right. When it really should be, quote, shut up, Jack. Shut up, comma, Jack. Period. End quote. Paragraph break. Jack raised an eyebrow. And then Jack speaks with Jack's raised eyebrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at that because when I, I had a problem with carpal tunnel and I had to use fucking dragon speaking naturally and when you were riding dragon speaking naturally you have to do that. Oh you do. It's 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 kind of hysterical. It's like, quote, open quote, shut up, Holy comma, shit. Jack, period, <laughs> close quote. In- and <laughs> it's you're trading yourself as much as you are the software. It comes off very clinical. It comes out very. Your writing can feel very clinical. So one one time that I had to use Dragon. Um, and it was because I couldn't use two. I, I, one-handed typing is not for me. But I had one hand in a splint. But my right—it was my non—it was my non-dominant hand in a splint. I was writing things out longhand, so I was more creative. And then reading the long-handed stuff into into the text editor, because it needs to be clinical for me. Because it's just so. It, it it just it's just like it's like I'm like sucking the life out of my writing doing this. <laughs> Echo asked, how did it feel to write a sex scene in Dragon? Do you want to hear my sex scene in Dragon? <clears throat> Greater than, insert, sex scene, less than. Paragraph break. <laughs> 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 because there was absolutely no way I was writing a sex scene out loud. <laughs> just Because there's... There are a few things in my writing craft that I'm super proud of, but my sex scenes and my dialogue are really important to me. Um, And there's nothing organic or flowing or intimate about writing a sex scene using dragon speaking naturally. It's just not going to happen. No, it's just terrible. It's terrible. And, you know, that's that's another thing. There's another thing, things people don't listen to. Is one of the pieces of advice I give people who are struggling with dialogue is read it out loud. And if your dialogue makes you tight, makes you cringe when you read it out loud, you've got a problem. If you think when you read it out loud it sounds melodramatic, it's melodramatic. (laughs) And And yet either people won't do it, they won't take the time to do it, or they tell me, well, it sounded a little bit weird when I read it, but I figured it was okay. No, it wasn't. No, <laughs> no, it was not okay. No, it was you 100% not okay. I have been doing a um, what, what did I call it? A sojourn. Is, is that is that how you say that? Sojourn. 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 Yeah. sojourn. 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 However, however you want to pronounce it. Through so, the Go NCIS fandom, because I'm having a hard oh. hard writing, as you know. Um, and I'm going to go on record right now and tell you, I have had my share of sex with men. Probably more than my share. I probably had my share and Lady Holder's share because she wasn't nearly, her whore face didn't last nearly as long as mine did. Um, if she even had a whore face. Um, men do not roar. R-O-A-R In bed I have no It absolutely does not happen Nobody roars in bed like a fucking lion Okay it does not Happen Moaning groaning Sometimes an occasional Holy shit shout kind of thing But roaring What was the other one I I wrote it down Because it was Howl. so terrible Howl, Howl. Howl. Oh. Tony howled I'm like, what, are you fucking serious? He's not a werewolf. Why is he howling? There's no point in this. Why is he howling? And Gibbs is roaring and Tony's howling and I'm like, oh my god, that's not what that happens. That's not how that happens. Virgin, you need to stop writing sex scenes. Bellow. Bellow Bello was the other one. <laughs> Thank you, Azure. Bellow. Gibbs bellows a lot in NCIS. And I don't fucking get I don't. Grunting is what pigs do. Not what people do. I know it probably happens, actually grunting, but grunting is not sexy. Don't use grunting. No, Moan. No, this is groans. This is the where the evilness that is um, the early days of fandom, I think, comes from, is that somebody told us that, and it, to some degree, it's true. There's like there's like a kernel of truth in there, which is you have to watch being repetitive. And people took that to the nth degree, which is where they're looking for synonyms for everything. And not everything needs a synonym or should have a synonym. Some things you just should not substitute. There's just no bellowing in sex, okay? There's no actual screaming in sex unless you're a screamer. And those are rare. Those are actually pretty rare. I, although I, I, think I did in my did whole life, there's only one one like screamer. It was mm. never a dude. It was never a dude. I, I, I've I've never never slept with a guy screamer. But I did sleep you with know, a man once. Moaned door. like a woman. He moaned like a woman when he came. It's kind of hot, I have to say. <laughs> but most people are not Lassie. Do you get it? Does anybody get it? <laughs> you got it. I did get it. <laughs> I think I was um, 12 the first time I saw porkies. That was my introduction to Kim Cattrell. How do you bellow somebody's butt? <laughs> <Earth>? <laughs> there is no bellowing anybody's butt. I don't know. <laughs> I just the NCIS fandom is killing me over this roaring and the bellowing and um. And I told um the bitches last night, that the more I read NCIS, the more I see that Gibbs Gibbs slap to the back of the head as abuse. It's physical abuse. abuse. And even if you're gonna, actually, I have a really hard time. This is this is one of those things that it's like suspension of disbelief thing. It's like it dies off the balcony. I have a really hard time when I'm reading a story where they get into a relationship, and the head slaps continue, including at home. That can be used, not always, but it's sometimes. I if the story is really good, I can try to get past it, but usually that's a big deal breaker. It's a big noping right out for me is if the uh, if 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 they've gotten into a relationship but Tony hasn't put a stop to that shit I do think there was one story that I really kind of cracked up at, but I can't pin, pinpoint it in my head where the first time Gibbs head slapped Tony after um, they got together Tony turned around and head slapped him back <laughs> I want to read that and that's the way it should be I'll be like look you can't slap my head anymore you can slap my ass <laughs> You can slap my ass as much as you want, baby. But you can't slap my head. But I wouldn't tolerate that head slapping anyway. The first time Gibbs said that to me, I would have punched him in the face. Yeah. Most of my stories, I put an end to that kind of crap, or it just never happens. That's why when I wrote my Sentinel story, the one only time that gibbs um slapped Tony in the back of the head, his um spirit animal came out and taught him a lesson by sitting on him for five minutes. <laughs> Because, no, it's abuse. I, <sighs> it's bad juju. People don't hit each other in the head. I think Keaton might be my favorite spirit animal I ever wrote. Keaton is And I've written awesome. a lot of them. <laughs> Although they really don't make an appearance much in um, Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, I think that we see Rodney's... Um, during that one episode but for the most part the spirit animals are kind of a uh... they really weren't integral to the show itself thinking of the sentinel we we didn't see their spirit animals often yeah some, I some, wrote some, some, um, some. It, it's called Ascendant Sybil and it's on my site it's um, NCIS Hawaii Five-O crossover it's Tony and Steve McGarrett because that's the mothership that is the mother ship. That's the ship I could go down with. I have to say that out. I am I have an idea for um a, a Tony Steve um fic. I have a I have a plot bunny. There is no unhappiness over here. <laughs> and I'm doing Tony I'm doing Tony Steve in July. But I think, you know, my favorite spirit I usually don't a lot of times I don't do a lot with the spirit animals. Um, but until um, recently, you, lady. my up. favorite spirit animal was um, Gretzky because he was kind of an asshole to Jack. Um, mm-hmm. But now Vicious is my favorite spirit animal. I love Vicious. I love Vicious. She's a little badass. And she gives Gibbs a lot of shit in the sequel that I'm working on. Yay! I'm so excited. And no, I haven't seen it. I wouldn't mind, but I haven't seen it <laughs> but no i i, I really enjoyed- um keaton um and his his interactions uh throughout that story were severe were intricately plotted where I wanted him um and what he was going to do and how he was going to appear from the very moment you meet keaton um I I laced that plot very carefully when it came to Keaton, and I don't know why. <laughs> I couldn't even tell you why. I just there was something about um Tony and Keaton that I felt like I had to to uh present their interactions um in a way that where Keaton was not only his spirit animal, but in many ways Keaton was Tony's guardian. Mm -hmm. Then he came to him when he was having emotional issues. He came to him when um, he was talking to Steve and there was a little hurt there because they weren't together. He's at the crime scene because he's worried about Tony. Um, He was there when he was shot. He was there when he woke up. He goes to defend Steve because Tony's not there to defend Steve. So Keaton, I, I actually spent a lot more time on Keaton's motivations than I did any other character in that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like making now piss his pants. Um, but I, I really would like to spend a lot more time um, Riding a spirit animal like Keaton, where Keat, where um, the spirit animal is, because um... especially since Tony was a guide in that particular story, where um, where the spirit animal is more than um, just a companion, that they are um, in some ways maybe a teacher and a guardian. I, I would I would really like to explore that. I think I'll, I think I'll I have a lot fun with I think, it. I think it's a fascinating concept. I think you can do. I I think that, um, I think there's a lot of an untapped potential in in spirit guides. Well, be really interesting, and I don't know if anybody's done this because I, um, I never read a lot of um the Sentinel. I mean, there was a time when I read, um. I once came into possession of I I got on a Yahoo group or something and I said okay, give me a list of the fix I need to read for the Sentinel, the fix, the ones you have to read if you're in the fandom. And I read like twenty or thirty of those, but I never really deep, dug deep into the fandom. Um. Um. But I would like to write a story where you kind of mix the um my my headcanon for the animagus in Harry Potter and the spirit animal in the sentinel um in that in the Harry Potter world um only sentinels and guides are animagus because the animagus is actually their spirit animal oh nice i know right <laughs> This is a sort of a question. I would never write. I'm I, not never. I can't. Say, I never. I try not to say, ever say never, but um, I can't conceive of a situation under which I would give a spirit guide a point of view in a story. Unless I was, uh, I, I agree. Um, unless I was writing um, that Harry Potter animagus headcanon thing that I just did myself to myself, um, where Harry turns into his spirit animal, but th- that would still be Harry's point of view. But, yeah, I think it would be really interesting to, to write that in the Harry Potter fandom. I don't have to do a lot of back work to fix my huge um, life-sucking plot hole in my own brain in that particular um, fandom for the Sentinel. But I'll get over it. <sighs> Your life-sucking plot I, hole gave me a bunny, though. I know. Great. <laughs> I love bunnies. <laughs> um, well, when we were talking about I the read... bunnies. This is last summer. I read an NCIS fic where um, Tony and and Gibbs get together, and they have a puppy. And the puppy um, saves Tony's life, and he bites somebody. So to, so to prevent him from getting in trouble for biting, because, you know, uh, zero tolerance laws. Vance makes him an agent. He makes the the, the puppy an agent. Aww. And I forget the name of it, and I want to read it again because it's ridiculously awesome and terrible and ridiculously awesome and terrible because there's a POV for the puppy. The puppy has a POV. The puppy could have more character than anybody else in the whole story. <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> well, when you figure out where that is, because you're going to reread it, I want the link. Because that one doesn't sound like, at familiar Zuma, to Zuma, thank you much. So- so much, Jeep. That's it. It's Agent Zuma. It is super cute. It is so ridiculously adorably cute. And at, at no point earlier, when I was saying how ridiculously cute it was, was I, was I criticizing. Because it is adorable. And it's the first time I've ever read An Animal's Point of View where I didn't get mad. It can Kami, nice. that's one of those things that I can't um, – that's what it's called, is Agent Zuma? No, it's called bourbon and aspirin. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And it's written by um, Gemini, Gemini Angel 1964, Angel. and I'm putting up a link right now. Oh, it's also on AO3, if anybody prefers that. Yeah, um. just the first thing I, I encountered. You I think There's Ao3 a is easier to navigate because it has the series; it has the whole series. But there is, um, is even like one part that like totally in the dog's point of view, and it's fucking adorable. <laughs> I don't even But yeah it's called um, The Bourbon and Aspen Universe by Gemini Angel Um, And uh, Yeah I'm going to go ahead and put a link in The um, podcast while I'm thinking about it Because somebody will inevitably listen to this And want to be able to find it I hope you guys can't hear what I'm sitting here doing for like the last ten minutes. Uh, no. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> but it is a it, it is crazy. a it is a they have to get married story. Um, no, I, I haven't read this one, but one of my favorite NCIS stories is not they have to get married, but they get a marriage a convenience thing. Is that the one where they had to get married for Tony's inheritance? Yeah, Forever Thing by Alan's Cult. That's one of my favorite NCIs. MC- yeah, MCIS I-, I read that recently and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. But yeah, I've been I- I've been skipping through NCIS fandom um, for good and bad. I like stories where Jenny is crazy and and Ziva's a bitch. <laughs> They're my favorite. Oh, you mean Kevin. Fortunately for me, those tropes are heavy in the NCIS fandom, so I have plenty to look through. <laughs> uh, but one problem I do have with the NCIS fandom is there are a lot of stories that are not appropriately worn for. I had to nope out of three fix yesterday for rape that was not warned for. Well, yes. You know, Jenny was Jenny was a a, a bitch in canon, but I like she, her crazy bitch, like super over the top crazy bitch, like trying to get Gibbs in bed and trying to kill Tony at the same time because he's in her way. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah, full metal jacket, full metal jacket Jenny, just <laughs> all up in it, it's insane. Uh, yeah, Ziva is a cow. That is that is good. Ziva is totally a cow. Um Are you clipping your toenails? God no. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what you're doing that you wouldn't want us to hear. And Okay, I'll get it closer. But so I you know you it. might do on the phone I I know you wouldn't go to the bathroom with us if so no. um, you're, I'm gonna do it so you can hear it. You hear that? Yeah, but I don't know what it is. I am using a metal rod to slap the hives on my calf. <laughs> you weirdo. Is it, well, is it it's less, better than scratching. It's less damaging than scratching. Yeah, I can see that. Does it help? It, well, it, it sort of, it's, yeah. I mean, the thing is, um, yeah, it helps. So my skin can't handle any more scratching. So I'm. Unagiwa's um, stories are at uh, fanfiction.net. I don't know if she posts on a- AO3. I don't think so. I can't find her on AO3. But then I, as Julie can testify, I have a hard time finding authors on AO3. Their search <laughs> thing function is very. I don't think <laughs> I don't think she's on AO3. But yeah, I'm uh, yeah, I'm just um. It, is a, it it's sort of it's just, it's like sometimes, you know, pressure can distract from certain kinds of pain because you just change the way the nerves are processing impulses. So um, I'm uh, lightly slapping the back of my calf to um, keep from scratching it. Julie had it a profound allergic reaction. She didn't break anything, so she's not wearing a cast. But she had a profound allergic reaction. To something, and so I get hives all the time. I have hives everywhere. Oh yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not like digging down in the cast or anything. It's just you know, I get to the point where I can't scratch anymore. So, so I smack them, or put ice on them. Ice is next. Ice is quite common, but you can only ice something so much <laughs> and only Before so much of their... your body. I've got like Before 10 ice packs. Frostbite. 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 Lay them out in body shape I was and just lay it out on them. them. Just take an ice bath. Just get it over with. Then, you, know, you know, when I, well, to well, I, used to, I used to do the, the, the cold plunge when California. we <laughs> We do the cold plunge <laughs> all the time, and I really like that. It's very relaxing. Um, I don't know that I'd want actual ice in the water. What is a cold plunge? So, like, if you go to, like, a place, so there's a lot of these places um, in the Bay Area that you go, you, they have these really n- nice hot tubs, and you love them. They have this, this. it's kind of, it's kind of, they're small, but the thing is you get out of the hot tub, and there's this thing of just cool water, and you just go into the cool water briefly and come out, Um and it's a plunge because you just go to you you kind of jump in and go down to your it goes up to your shoulders and then you climb back out um, and uh I don't know there's something about I do like 10 minutes in the hot tub and then a cold plunge and then sit down for a little bit and then 10 minutes in the hot tub and then cold plunge and I was I've never slept so well in my entire life with doing that. Cold plunge is awesome. It's shocking, but it's awesome. <laughs> it's shocking. Great. Especially right we didn't after you know it Especially right after the hot tub. Go from a hot tub to, you know, it's like, whoa. <laughs> okay, we've got a minute left. Um, I don't have anything really else to talk about. Um, like I said, I'm trying to write. Read Agent Zuma. It's fucking hilarious and ridiculously awesome. I promise. Um the dog's point of view is great. And magical. <laughs> <laughs> a magical point Agent of view. Agent Zuma <laughs> is the best. Write down his Superman socks. <sighs> Anyways, catch you on the flip side. You guys have a great weekend. Say goodnight, Julie. Good night, everyone.